Wish day, wish day, come on in, my fellow horned toad listeners, and let's gather around back inside the Hogan so we can discuss another round of Clagato Veteran Podcast, Season 2, Episode 18. And on Episode 18, I have five subjects for the night. The first one will be about the Veteran Rally and 501c3s. Uh, number two will be about ghostly road stories. Number three will be about alien abductions. Number four will be Arizona monsters. And finally, number five will be skinwalker ghost stories. Ooh, should be a good one. And I am, of course, Mateo Native Ravager, taking you through this journey of what's been going on and what we can talk about as far as the non- not nonprofit, but as far as the uh, podcast goes. And on um, tonight's episode, I'm going to do like what I did for episode 17, one long block, but um, I don't have anything, anybody else with me to uh, ha- have as a guest. So with that being said, I'm just going to go ahead and um, what I'm going to do for this uh, episode 18 and uh, 19, 20 and um, 21 and 22. So this, you know, it's a few more episodes left to go to finish off the season is I'm going to go uh, 10 minutes on each subject, so that way that brings to like 50 minutes, and then, you know, with some additional rambling, so let's go try to fit in one hour, man, um, and it's going to, I might just do this for the rest of the uh, the season, just to give it a different type of uh, format. So anyways, um, I'll be timing myself with each of these segments, and um, when I reach the 10 minute mark, I will go ahead and say that, and then um, other than that, I will go ahead and get ready, and um, let's go start the episode. So here we go. So moving on to our first subject of the night, this one is Veteran Rally and 501c3s. And like I said, I'm giving myself a time limit of at least 10 minutes. And um, so the reason why I want to bring this up was last Friday... The, um, this was, uh, uh, shoot, what was it? The 25th, the 26th or something like that of, um, September. Anyways, uh, we had a special agency veteran meeting and this was over in Fort Defiance and immediately following was, we, you know, everybody was supposed to go to, um, the council chamber and they were supposed to get up there and talk about, you know, what changes they didn't like and what they wanted to see from, you know, because the council chamber is right across from the uh, Window Rock, um, the, the the president's office. And um, so anyways, the um, that meeting, it took place and I was upset because I really wanted to bring up my um, the merchandise line, the one I was telling these guys about. And I really just wanted them to make sure that, that you know, it was the final version of everything. And I just wanted them to know that I did ask and seek their approval. And you know, that was the whole point. But, um, when the meeting first started, that special veteran agency meeting, um, the announcement was made, you know, after the meeting, that's when the public comment section would come in. And since I'm no longer uh, agency secretary, I was going to jump in with that. And, um, anyway, so, uh, I didn't, you know, I didn't get my chance to, you know, bring that up. So they said, go to the rally. And I really didn't want to go because I was really, I was still kind of upset because like, damn, how much more longer do I got to keep bringing these things up in sections? Cause they're always saying, you know, Mateo, you got five minutes, you got two minutes, you got 10 minutes. And, you know, I'm trying to make my point and trying to bring up some facts like how I do, you know, with the podcast to bring up the research. So anyways, what ended up happening was, you know, I went there and I, that Fort Defiance Agency Veterans flag, it's a green one with the logo in there. I brought that just to show what it looks like to have, you know, an actual flag or um, a banner, you know, just something to symbolize and show that, you know, the veterans are not all chewed up, you know, at least we got something to stand behind. And the, um, the commanders, they went up there, they're, 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 they were doing their talking, but the thing that also bugged me was they said, oh, before we start, we, we need to pray. And I'm like, pray for what, man? You know, if these guys were, you know, what? because what really upset me about these guys doing prayers is they're trying to find answers, right? I mean, that's pretty much what you do with a prayer. 
you're, you're in a hopeless situation and you need answers. Well, for me, you know, I'm out there, I'm hustling. I'm, you know, trying to find all these uh, answers to all these problems these guys have, but they don't listen to me. So that's what really, you know, upset me because they were talking about veteran housing. Nobody knew about veteran housing, but I went out and I went ahead and found like all different types of um, resources off the reservation and all these other programs that do help veterans and these commanders, they don't want to take it back, man. They just don't like, they ignore me. They're like, no, you know, your solution is not good enough for us. We need you, you know, we want you to do it for us. Or they're just kind of like, nah, I just, I'm just here to collect a stipend, but I want to run my mouth at the same time. So that's where that really uh, upset me, you know? And when the, as, so, you know, when the, when the guy was doing his prayer, you know, I was like, Hey, fine, whatever, man. And he made a, he kind of made like a good, I don't know, four to five minute prayer. And, um, he was trying to get all the specifics and stuff. And I wanted to say, Hey, I'm right here, man. You know, how come you guys always overlook me? You know what? I'm not good enough to be a veteran. I'm not good enough to be an officer. I'm not good enough to be a part of the tribe. I'm not good enough to be a part of the agency. What, what is it? Why don't you guys just listen to what I'm saying? At least ask me questions. I'm willing to help out. That's why I go above and beyond with the research. Cause I want to make sure that, you know, that we don't look all shoddy and shitty anyways. So that goes on. Uh, I don't mean to go off on another tangent there, but, um, so with that rally, I guess what they were trying to do was, um, trying to tell president Nez to work with the veterans instead of just making things up. Now the executive director for the, uh, for the entire Navajo nation veteran organ uh, agencies, all five of them, uh, he's the main, you know, top dog. And, you know, these guys just don't like him. And for me, I really don't care because, you know, I'm not his friend or I'm not his enemy. I'm just like, you know, for those that want to work with me, that's great, you know, um, you know, but, and if they want to work against me, that's even better because then I know not to trust him, not to use him, not to talk to him and just leave him alone. But, um, they want to get rid of him. That was a thing. That was a whole rally thing. But the problem is that he, the executive director, who is a white man, which I really don't have a problem with. It's like, hey, whatever, man. As long as uh, people are willing to help me, I'll help him back. But um, so their problem with him is that they're saying that he's not Navajo. Well, he was appointed by Navajo Nation president, Jonathan Nez. I think it was back in 2019. And the funny thing as an executive director is that we've went through five, I think, since I joined back in 2006, 15. And, um, so this has been going on and on, you know, everybody is always upset. You know, they're like, Oh, this guy's not doing his job. Right. This guy's not. the last guy we had was, um, John King that I remember. And he kind of did things a little different. He was a Navajo and they still complained and bitched about him. So they got him out of there. And then one of the last guys to go in, he was a former major in the, in the United States Army. That's a high rank, you know, as an officer, you know, that's close to colonel. Then once you get to colonel, you know, you're not that far from general, you know. But anyways, so what happened with uh, that guy, his name was Tracy, um, something Tracy, I can't remember. But they didn't like him again either. Uh, and then not only that, but he was only going to be temporary. So uh, Jonathan Nez, you know, he, he finally put that white guy in there. And then, um, you know, that from then on, you know, he was trying to make positive changes. I was trying to work with him on doing a podcast, you know, for the entire Navajo Nation. He wanted me to set it up. And, you know, I tried, man. I really tried. But with what's going on with my mom, my family, the community, the, the, the cemetery, the veteran building, uh, my job and like all these other little side hustles that I'm doing, man, it was, you know, I just really couldn't get to it. Oh, and then to make, to put the cherry on top was when the car started acting up because that buck little witch had that one old man, a witchcraft of vehicles. So, you know, I was really, I was really, um, I really had a handful. So anyways, so with the, with the rally, that's what that was all about to remove that white guy. And then the other thing was the budget. Um, I don't remember who brought it up, but instead of all five agencies are broken up into, you know, the 110 chapters of the Navajo nation. So for Fort Defiance, if you didn't know, it's 26 chapters and it, we even extend, it extends up to, um, twin lakes, 
Coyote Canyon, Mexican Springs, Tohatchi, and um, uh, Naschiti. Anyways, um, so what they were doing, whoever came up with it, was saying, all right, we're not going to have these 26 individual accounts, you know, not, not just for Fort Defiance, but the other five agencies. We're going to put it in one big pile, what they're going to call it, uh, one pot, one pot account. And the way it was supposed to work is you're supposed to go over there, first come, first serve, put in your request. And, you know, if you're, and if you get, uh, and if your request is accepted, then you get money first before everybody else. So that's how that's supposed to work. Now, apparently there are some commanders that knew how to hustle the system. So they didn't like that one pot account, one pot account, because they wanted, um, they wanted the other money they were getting that they knew that nobody was keeping track of. So, you know, with everything, there are loopholes and, um, that's how they, that's why they, they can't, yeah, that's why they made a big deal about it. So with that, you know, uh, it, you know, I was really upset, so I really didn't participate. And I'm like, yeah, whatever, man, you guys already been through this process so many times, you know what Jonathan Ned's going to do. He's either going to razzle dazzle you with a bunch of nonsense, or he's going to go back on his word eventually if he gives it. And then, um, then the other thing about the 501c3s is there there's one that's that's trying to come up they're asking me for advice that's in New Mexico one of the veterans organizations well one of the veterans actually so that's pretty cool i thought that was pretty neat um then there's one along i40 those guys they're in the process of getting um incorporated so i thought that was pretty neat too and then finally west of us uh, there's another community back out that way they're also doing it so it's pretty great you know they they're actually listening to me and, you know, it's great when they ask me for advice and everything that I've, um, learned, uh, as far as 501c3s go, especially for the reservation, it, it's, it's pretty neat that they want to ask me for help. And, um, so with that, I just want to say that, um, nope, I hit the 10 minute mark here, so I'll, I'll switch subjects, but let me just say that, um, this 501c3, it's, what the reason why I, I did it in the first place was because everything was so stretched out. There was not enough resources and on the reservation, everything's so spread out that the resource, not having a resource was a great challenge to me. I'm like, Hmm, how could I fix this problem? How can I solve it? Well, we need more money, but also, you know, you need more than money, you need ingenuity, creativeness, design, artistry, you know, you really have to go into the world of marketing and advertising and all that. So anyways, so I'm just saying that even though, even though the rally kind of pissed me off, the, um, the fact that there are three more veteran nonprofits that popped up is pretty exciting to me and I'm really grateful. So, okay. With that being said, um, I'm going to go ahead and move on to the next subject of the night. Here we go. Okay. Moving on to the second subject of the night. This is ghostly road stories. And, you know, the past few episodes, I really didn't get a chance to do a ghost story or, you know, anything related to Halloween because it's coming up closer now. We're at the end, approaching the end of, um, uh, what's this month? <laughs> September. And um, so anyways, uh, I just want to go ahead and start off with our first uh, story. And this one is about um, when my mom used to work at the, um, she used to be like a, a kindergarten assistant teacher, a teacher's assistant. There we go. Anyways, uh, she talked to this one, the one time her and these other teachers, they were on staff, they were on a break. And the, this one guy, he came in, he was a janitor, but he used to be, um, before he used to be a cop. So he was a Navajo cop. And this was back in the, uh, let's say the, the seventies. So this guy, his story was either back in the seventies or the sixties. I asked my mom about it. She don't really remember, but um, so we'll just say it was back in the sixties, late sixties. So this guy was, a um, he was a Navajo policeman and he was on a patrol one night and he said, uh, while he was driving on the highway, you know, cause back then there was hardly anybody on the highway. He said he looked in his rear, rear view mirror and way back there, he saw two headlights. So he kept cruising and cruising. And then, you know, you know, just like a typical vehicle, it was, it was getting closer, you know, and then, um, but then when he finally saw it coming over the other side of the hill behind him, that's when he noticed it was like hauling ass, man. It was just, it was just, he was, you know, that vehicle was just 
whoever had their foot on the gas pedal was really gunning it. And then all of a sudden he looked and that headlight came around. Boom! It hit the back of his vehicle so hard, man. He just freaked the hell out. He's like, what the hell? And as soon as he tried to recover when he was uh, steering off the side of the road, it hit him again. Boom! You could hear the, the glass shattering, the metal bending, and you can just hear like pieces falling apart. And, um, and so it came and hit him again. Boom. That's when he, uh, grabbed his, uh, walkie talkie and he called, you know, he called around. He's like, you know, doing the radio call signs. And he was telling, uh, you know, all available units to, to meet him on this highway. There was a, uh, someone who was trying to run him off the road. Boom. It hit him again. And he said, man, he was terrified. He was scared. And it really, um, it terrified him to the point where, he just put the pedal to the metal, man. And that, that vehicle, you know, it kept up with him too. Uh, even though he was going like, you know, like 120, I think was the top speed vehicles could do at that time, or maybe 90 or whatever, but he was really giving it all he had to that, uh, patrol car he was in. And that vehicle just kept hitting him. Boom. You know, and, um, and each time he could hear all that, you know, you know, like metal bending, twisting, screeching, and then, um, finally up ahead, he saw those, uh, um, he saw those other cops coming towards him. They had their lights on, you know, the, the sirens and all that. And then, um, and then as I guess somehow that car either backed up or it just stopped and it turned around and it took off, but he didn't stop till he met up with his other, uh, patrolmen's. And when he got there, man, he was just all scared. He's like, damn, I don't know what the hell happened. So the amazing part of that story is when he went around the vehicle with the other cops, they had their flashlights on, you know, cause it's that night there was nothing wrong with the back of the car, that patrol car. And man, that was like, wow, man. It's like, what a story, you know, that's so amazing. And it's kind of, you know, crazy. So there are like phantom drivers out there. And when I'm driving, especially when I'm coming back late at night, you know, um, especially coming back from Gallup and I'm, down the highway and coming back to Clagato, I'm always looking on the side of my, you know, using my peripherals. Cause people always say, Oh, I saw a ghost. I saw a skinwalker. I saw this. I saw that. I cannot freaking see anything, man. I, you know, I try to like lose focus. And sometimes they say when you're really tired, you know, these apparitions or whatever it is, cryptoids, they'll come up and, you know, they'll, they'll scare the hell out of you. Um, but for all the years of travel then that I've been out here in Clagato, I really haven't seen that, you know? Um, and my dumbass would probably just like slow down and hurry up and grab my camera phone or grab my phone and try to, you know, put up the, the app so I can hurry up and uh, take a picture or record or something. But you know, these things, they know they don't want to be recorded. They don't want to be captured. So they'll take off, you know, so that, that would be, that would be my bad luck, you know? And, um, so anyways, um, I don't, some people do see things that, you know, in Clagato, they're like, oh, I saw like the Bigfoot. I saw the centaur. I saw a devil. I saw a skinwalker. I saw a ghost. I saw a baby. I saw, you know, all these different cryptoids and whatnot that, you know, people see that, mm, you know, that I can't see that maybe it's not meant for me for whatever reason, but I, um, you know, I try to keep an eye out. So my other story I wanted to bring up about the phantom driver. Now I'm talking about Clagato is that there is a story that if you go east of Clagato towards the, um, what they call the summit road, you go way back there. There's, um, I don't know. I guess you, if you cruise through there at midnight, supposedly there's a phantom truck that comes out and it'll chase you and it'll do the same thing. It'll, it'll ram into your vehicle and, um, so the story goes that my cousin and his friends, when they were, um, young, dumb, and full of Indianness wildness, um, they went up that way. And my cousin, he had a BMW. So if you know anything about vehicles, BMWs, they're, they're built for speed. And I guess he'd been up there before with his, uh, like during the daytime. So he kind of knew the road. So he knew that even though it's all rocky, after you get to a certain point, it's all smooth after a while. So I guess right around that area is where that truck will come out. So anyways, him and his friends uh, or cousins, um, by this time, I think I was in the army and they were still in high school. So anyways, he was cruising and um, I think it was like after midnight or one o'clock, 
And sure enough, headlights came out, boom. And they were like, is that him? Is that, is that that phantom truck? You know? And they were like, I don't know. We'll see. And then, so he kind of started speeding up. The more he sped up in that BMW, the faster that other vehicle came up behind. It was like, yep, that's him. That's him. So they're, you know, the, the hair on their neck stood up and, you know, on their arms and, you know, they just kind of had that creepy, eerie feeling that that was like some kind of evil phantom devil truck or something. And, um, so that, that devil, I mean, that, that phantom truck, it, you know, it, it, you know, it, it followed them pretty good, you know, but he was in a BMW so he could go faster. So I don't know if that really made a difference, but eventually they said that truck turned around and, um, they, they pretty much outran that phantom truck. And ever since then, you know, I've been always fascinated with that story. And, um, uh, I would like to go up there because the dumbass that I am, you know, I like to go up there and try it out, but I really, really would like to have night vision cameras and cameras attached to the vehicle. So that way, if that does happen, you know, and that way I, I have it recorded and, and then at the same time, you know, I want to know the road a little bit better because not only is there that Clagatoe Bigfoot up there, but there's some other cryptoids that live up, you know, east of that area. And, um, you know, maybe they might, they might all be working together or they're working against each other, whatever. But, um, so that's what also kind of prompted me to do the, um, Clagato paranormal cryptoid page, but man, I just been so busy. I thought I was going to be able to restart that page, but I haven't, you know, and maybe that's a good thing because I, right now I got like too much going on. And, um, but the, um, but those type of things, you know, I was thinking, well, maybe it was Bigfoot driving that truck. <laughs> maybe it was, uh, one of the cryptoids, you know, that that's out there, but you know, where, how that whole story started, I don't know, but somebody knows something about it. And, um, if you can hear in the background, COVID and, uh, his mom, they're barking and, uh, Stumples, I think you can hear his voice too. And Corona, she's out there. So it really adds like a more darker element to this podcast because, uh, the dogs are barking in the background. I would open the door, but you know, it's gonna, it's gonna really distract. It's gonna, it's going to really destroy the sound quality here. But anyways, so those were, uh, some stories I've been wanting to talk about. I wish I knew the exact details and more about it, but you know, for the time that I'm given, um, I'm going to go ahead and just leave it, leave it at that. And, um, and then, um, the next thing I'm going to do is, um, go ahead and, uh, talk about the next subject, which would be about alien abductions. And that's going to be a really interesting story because I don't, throughout the whole time I've been doing the podcast, I haven't done that. But um, there was one more story I wanted to give because um, I'm reaching the 10 minute mark here. Um, this, this story is about, um, I'll make this quick. Uh, this story is about two, four, two couples, an old, an old, two old Chays and two old Must Sons. So here's how the story goes. It's still kind of a road phantom story. So, um, you know, this, this chain, his wife, they came over to meet their, their buddies. And I don't know if they're like, you know, related or whatever, but, um, the two old ladies, there's, they were telling the two old men, you know, we're out of water, go get the, um, load up the wagon, put some, put that water barrel in there, take the horses, load them up and, um, go, go over there to the well and come back before it gets dark. So those two old chays, that's what they did. They're like, all right, yeah, let's go. So when I say old chays, I'm guessing maybe they were in their sixties. Um, cause I think seventies is kind of like really pushing it. So they must've been the fifties or sixties cause they were still able enough to do all that. So anyways, and this story takes place, I think it was, uh, in, in on the New Mexico side of the reservation. Anyways, I, I my late brother told me, and I, I, I don't remember the origins of this, but it, it always creeped me out. So the two old chays, they went to get the water. And so they filled up, they went to the well, they pumped it and all that. And they got the, all that. And then they kind of noticed the horses were kind of acting skittish and they were like spooked out. You know, the horses, their ears were twitching around, their heads were looking all over the place. So then, the then the old chays, they, they said, all right, let's go. So they, they had the horses leave and the horses were just walking first. And then, um, they kind of noticed the horses acting more, more creeped out. And then they were like, what is that? What is that? And then, you know, they had a feeling of something, 
around them that was like evil. And so they kind of like started getting scared too. So they were like, you know, they started to get the horses in a trot. So the horses started trotting back to the house. And by this time, the two old ladies, they were, you know, really cooking up a storm and, um, or the two old, my sons were cooking up a storm. And then, um, those two old chays that were talking and all of a sudden they kind of noticed that the horses really started freaking out and they were like, man, what the hell's going on? So they happened to look behind them and way back there, there's this dark black figure who's walking towards them. And when they saw it walking towards them, you know, obviously the hairs and all that stood up and that thing took off in a run, started running after them. Man, those old chays, they freaked the hell out and they, they got the horses into like a full stride and the horses took off, man. They were just like, you know, running for their lives too. Cause they didn't know what was going on. And, um, there was an old bridge that, um, they were trying to get to. And, um, so when they kind of looked behind him, man, that thing was, uh, like a humanoid form. It was like basically a skinwalker, you know, it like a skinwalker werewolf. And that's what I'm assuming. And it was running towards them and running. And, um, even though the horses were in full, full stride, that thing was slowly catching up. Cause he was, I mean, it was just like booking it, man. It was hauling ass. Then he jumped and he, as soon as they crossed a bridge that, um, that monster jumped over the bridge, the entire bridge landed in the wagon, grabbed those two old men, jumped off. And the horses came back to the house by themselves with the full water barrel. And that's how, I guess, those old ladies told a story when they went to go see a, a um, like a crystal gazer or something. But man, that's a creepy story. All right. I went over my time limit. So let me go move on to the next story, um, our third segment of the night. And um, that way um, I'll try not to go over again. This is my fault. All right. Here we go. So subject number three, this one is about alien abductions. And this is um, a subject I've always wanted to cover for a while. And um, I just kind of figured now would be a pretty good time to do it because the fact that um, Halloween's coming up and, um, you know, I really haven't got around to saying much about it. But anyway, so for the most part, the, the story I'll start off with first is about Betty and Barney Hill. Um, these two, uh, for the most part, they, they're recorded as, you know, the first report of its kind and damn, I can't remember what year this was. Was it the sixties? I totally forgot to write down the year. Um, anyways, so Betty and Barney Hill were, they were controversial because back in the time when they first got abducted, you know, Betty was a white lady and Barney was a black guy. So Nobody, um, you know, when they, after they found out they got abducted, they really didn't want to tell anybody because of the fact that, you know, they're both different races. And at the time, you know, the whole segregation and all that stuff was going on. So, you know, Barney didn't want to get, you know, get attacked by all these white supremacist type people. But anyways, so, but they were living in, in North, um, I don't know, New Hampshire around that area. And, um, I guess they were leaving, uh, Ashland, Nebraska, and they were going towards Lincoln, New Hampshire. Uh, I think that was the route they were taking. But anyways, what ended up happening was, um, if you didn't know, they were, they were cruising along, they were coming back from, I think it was like a dinner or, or some kind of party or something. And when they were cruising on this highway, they saw this light in the sky and they were following it. And, um, that guy, Barney, he got his, uh, just so happened to have some binoculars and he looked at it and that light started getting closer. And he found out that it was a, like a, at the time, nobody really knew what, you know, a UFO spaceship would look like, but they ended up getting abducted. And when they, after their abduction, they were back in their vehicle and, um, and he's, they didn't know what happened, you know, this time lapse happened and they ended up cruising back to, to their house. By that time, the sun came up cause they were, they were headed back, you know, at night. And, um, so they were further than where they originally were when they first saw that, uh, light from that UFO. 
And that's when they noticed that, you know, the, the lady, Betty, her, her clothes were kind of like, um, torn and, um, her dress was torn. And, um, that guy, Barney, his shoes, top of them were scuffed because, you know, he was like a real sharp dresser, you know, back in the day, everybody, you know, dressed up all nice and they tucked in their shirts. It's not like today where we're all sloppy and, you know, I'm part of that, uh, that culture too, where I dress kind of sloppy, but anyways, so um, what ended up happening, they went to go see, um, a psychic who kind of unlocked their minds. And that's when they relived the whole thing about being abducted that night. And the reason why his shoes were scuffed was because there was like an alien tractor beam, you know, this bright light, it was pulling him, but he didn't want to, uh, I guess he was frozen. So when he was being pulled up, you know, along the ground, that's where, his shoes were getting scuffed as he was being dragged that way. And, um, that lady, uh, Betty was saying that, you know, they stuck a needle in her, um, belly button. And then, um, I, I think they extracted like, um, you know, some, uh, I, I want to say they, they took out some, like whatever vital parts they need to construct a human, you know, the DNA, and the same with him, you know, he had some kind of like weird cup placed over his groin and he was kind of like, he was kind of tripping out, but that was like the first time they ran into the greys, the aliens. And if you listen to this podcast before, I was talking about how the Anasazi, um, there's a Navajo story, how the Anasazis became, uh, extraterrestrial aliens that we see nowadays, the greys and all that. And that's why they come back, you know to earth because of the natural herbs that they need. And also I was saying that, um, this reporter, Linda Moulton Howell was saying that, you know, the reason why these cattle mutilations were happening was because they were getting certain parts of their, the cattle, like the, um, uh, the part of the meat, the bone structures, stuff like that, because they were, um, these aliens, you know, they're pretty much made of electricity. They're like light beings, so they can't really have liquid, you know? So if anything, they would have like, you know, something like crackers and, and salted meat. But anyways, so that's where, um, that's where I wanted to talk about that real quick and just bring it up because, you know, it's a really, really interesting story. And, um, also it just kind of makes me wonder what else is out there, you know, um, as far as, as far as these uh, alien abductions go, you know, I, I really haven't heard of any like Navajos being abducted. So that could also be set for another future podcast. But, um, excuse me. And then the other one I want to talk about, it's, it's, it hits close to home over in Albuquerque. So this was like an Albuquerque clone abduction story. But, um, there was, um, uh, back in 1988, this, uh, lady, Gloria Hawker. She was like a medical secretary. She saw lights in the sky and then her husband, uh, Fred worked night shifts. So when she saw those, uh, lights in the sky at night over Albuquerque, I guess, um, uh, she was, I don't know, just making contact. I just guess looking at it, she called her kids over and she was like, Oh, look at that. But then the lights, I guess they got closer. Cause you know, in Albuquerque, the, what's, what is popular or known for is the balloon fiesta and those hot air balloons are going by. So that's what she thought it was. But then, but then she started to realize that thing started coming closer because once she made eye contact, so that's where it freaked her out and she chased her kids uh, and, and, um, chased her kids back to bed anyways. Um, so after that, um, I guess she was, um, she was at work and, you know, like I said, she was a medical secretary. So wherever she was at, she was walking down the steps and then, um, then she got pushed when she was walking down the parking, uh, garage. And then, um, um, and like her coworkers told her, they said, yeah, it didn't look like you, you tripped on your own. It looked like you were pushed. You were like, you were catching some wicked air, man. You were up and, you know, you were off the steps and you just came, you know, hurling down towards the, the, the steps, you know, and you hit the, you hit the bottom and that's where she tripped out. So basically, I don't know, somehow those aliens pushed her maybe, but anyways, that night around, uh, 10 30 or 11, 
that's when she had this experience of aliens coming through the the wall and they they had black eyes they had three long fingers and they once they once they got her you know they they took her back through the wall and then you know took her up into the um the ship there once they had her in there that's where they planted a device in her head and in her eyes and have you ever seen that movie fire in the sky uh, that's what i'm guessing it's like the um you know, punctured her eyeball with, um, that real sharp needle. So that, that's pretty trippy. And, um, then later on, um, when she, I guess when she woke up, you know, her husband was back from work and she told him about it. And for a while there, her husband, Fred, he was, um, he was being real supportive and he was trying to like help understand her and try to give her comfort and stuff like that. But then his personality changed. And he kind of became an asshole. <laughs> he kind of became a dick, you know, um, because he was also abducted. So then, um, you know, one time, um, uh, so he came, he came home about like nine 30 at night, you know, and he was lost and he was scared. He's, he's like, he just wasn't himself. And then, um, a few hours later, he started having like convulsions, you know, he's just all shaking and freaking out and, and then, um, she was trying to, you know, call 911 and all that stuff. And then he died within, um, and you know, he, while well, he died that night anyways, it, but, uh, within the few, within those few days after he told her that she, he got abducted also. And that's when she really noticed a change in him. That's where he kind of became like, you know, it just, it just became like, a. Um, Kind of like he had like alien feelings, I guess, you know, he just kind of like didn't care. But then, um, but then one night, you know, she gets abducted again, but she wakes up in the spaceship, you know, and she sees all the, all the, just everything sci-fi that you think of what would be inside a spaceship, you know, sliding doors and big old glass tubes and stuff like that. And, um, and that's where she met her husband again. And she freaked the hell out because she was telling him, and said, no, you're dead. We buried you. I was at the funeral. You know, we were, you know, we put you in the coffin, you know, and we had a whole service for that. And, you know, the kids were crying and Mr. Dad and, you know, we, we put you away. And then he goes and tells her, he says, he says, like, I was cloned and the clone died, but I'm still here. I'm alive. It's really me. I'm aboard this ship. And that was like one of the last times she ever like talked to him and stuff like that. And I just thought that was like really a real interesting story about abduction because you think about all the, all the Navajos that are around here nowadays and those missing murdered indigenous women, um, situations, maybe some of them were actual uh, alien abductions, not just human trafficking abduction, but alien abductions. Maybe they're, they're in a spaceship right now. Maybe that's why. When some of these um, Navajo families are trying to locate their their loved ones using a medicine man's uh, psychic visions, you know he can only see on Earth, but he can't see you know beyond that. So maybe maybe their loved ones are in a spaceship. So I don't know if that's really something hopeful to look forward to, or if it's like not worth thinking about for some of these families. But um, these abduction stories, man, um, I'll. I'll see what I can find on him some more. Um, but for the most part, yeah, that one kind of hit close to home cause that's in Burke. And, um, you know, I just want to make sure that, um, I got that covered. So if anything, you know, just always be aware that, you know, sometimes if, if family is kind of acting silly, they might be a clone. Yeah. As I say, but all right, let's go move on to our, our fourth subject of the night. Okay, so here we go. Subject number four, this is Arizona Monsters. And with this, I just want to start off with this story that um, I heard about called the Tombstone Thunderbird. And I was trying to look in my notes, try to find out which part. Um, I know I talked about this before with this uh, sheep herder. Um, not sheep herder. It was uh, two cowboys where they were attacked by like a flying, a flying lizard dragon, pretty much kind of like a pterodactyl. 
And I was trying to, I was going to reference it, but I can't remember where I, which episode it was I did that on, but I know it was this season, but anyways, um, so I kind of got an update on that story was, you know, the tombstone Thunderbird and supposedly in like, um, this is back in like 1890s in, in tombstone, you know, in the newspaper. And, um, that was April 26th of, uh, 1890. And that's when that one cowboy who survived getting attacked by that, um, I don't know, prehistoric pterodactyl was saying it was like, you know, 92 foot long bird from head to tail. And it had like a big old, huge leather wingspan. And, um, there was a tombstone epitaph newspaper. That's the one that's got that written on there. And, um, and, um, there was, um, I guess this dude, um, Jack Pearl from, um, 1962 that, you know, there is no photo of it, but, um, turns out it might just been fiction made up anyways, because the, um, because of the, you know, with that Mandela effect, that's where people really thought they had seen it. And they actually really were like, oh yeah, that is the true, um, that is a true monster. And, um, and it turns out that the, um, if you see images on the internet with, you know, with the people standing in front of like, um, a warehouse or wherever, a barn, and it's got that, um, like it's got like a pterodactyl looking creature hung up behind it, or they're standing above it or whatever. Uh, that's kind of, you know, it's been kind of been told that that is a fake and that's not real. So I was like, oh man, but if that really did happen, if that really does happen, it really makes sense how some of these tribes would call it the Thunderbird because it it is kind of like, um, well, I guess in a way Thunderbird would, for me, it would mostly be like a jet. So back in like the 18... Before the 1900s, these other tribes, when they refer to a Thunderbird, I'm thinking they're talking about a um, an aircraft that's already been flying long before, you know, America had, a, you know, any pilots or anything. So, okay, so that was the, um, it's kind of a letdown, but that's what I wanted to talk about. But, uh, I mean, give an update on. And the other thing about um, this Arizona Monsters podcast, uh, not podcast, this um, segment um, I was going to talk about some reptilian stuff, but then I figured, oh, I'll wait. But here's a, another story that I wanted to bring up because it's like really interesting to me. Um, this, but this play takes place in the Ozarks and it's like, you know, why talk about Arizona monsters when I'm going to talk about the Ozarks? Well, I just want to hurry up and get the story over with. So there's this dude named Saul Collins and they call him blue Saul Collins because he, he met up with this, um, this monster that was like colored blue and he was the first to see it. So that's where he called, they called him blue Saul Collins. Anyways, um, this is around 1865. So basically he was, it's like a blue Bigfoot, I I, I would say. So this is an actual story that happened where this dude, Jay Tate bar, um, his sheep went missing. So he goes looking for them and, but then he finds them slaughtered. And that's when his daughter, Ruby sees that, um, you know, the blue monster. Uh, so basically blue Bigfoot. And then in, uh, 1915, um, let's see, I kind of got my, um, I got my storylines crossed here. 1865 in the Ozarks. I guess that's when people first started talking about this blue monster. So in 1915, that's when, um, that Saul Collins, you know, that's when, um, that's when his sheep goes missing. He looks for it and, um, his daughter sees it. His daughter's name is Ruby. And so Saul, he gets the help from this guy, um, Jay Tabar to hunt it down. So three days later, they find, um, the foot tracks of this, um, blue monster and finds, um, finds its dwelling, you know, where it lives like six miles away from where the sheep were all murdered anyways. So, uh, they caught the monster in a, in a bear trap, you know, Um, but when they finally came across it, the, that blue monster is, um, it's old and gray and and it didn't really have the muscles that it did when it was younger, you know? So then, um, the, these guys are ready to shoot it. And that Jay Tabar, who's an uh, experienced uh, tracker, 
tells him, you know, shoot it, shoot it, kill it. But um, the guy, uh, Saul Collins, oh, no, 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 sorry. Um, uh, yeah, Saul Collins. Um, okay, so, <laughs> sorry, got my got my story mixed up. Jay Tabar is the guy with the sheep, and the sheep gets killed. So Saul Collins helps him find it. That's why they call him Blue Saul Collins. So Saul Collins tells um, Jay Tabar, you know, shoot it, shoot it, kill it. But Jay Tabar, he doesn't want to kill it because he sees that the, um, you know, this old blue monster, it's crying because it's got his foot trapped in the uh, the thing, in the in the trap. So he couldn't get, you know, could it get out? Ah, couldn't get out of it. So what? Um, so Jay Tabar, he couldn't kill him. So he just um, like he sees the humanity in the creature. So he shoots the chain. Uh, somehow when he shoots a chain, that monster is able to um, pry open that bear trap and get its foot out. And once it happens, um, that that uh, Blue Saul, you know, Blue Saul Collins, he was about to shoot it. And that's when that, that uh, blue monster, it attacked him. And, and it let um, the other guy, Jay Tabar, let him escape and, and it killed him. Um, it killed blue calls, uh, blue Saul Collins. And that, that's just like one of those, um, stories that I wanted to bring up because it's, um, if I ever do come across that Clagato Bigfoot out here, you know, yeah, he could probably kill me, but you know, if anything, I would just say, look, I'm unarmed. <laughs> I'm not here to kill you. And, you know, like I said, that that's a 50, 50 chance that, you know, it could attack or it just might be like, you know, well, you're not worth my time then, you know, uh, or, you know, maybe you could like respect me enough to say, to, to not say anything, but just kind of look at me like, all right, well, let me get the hell out of here then. But other than that, or am I just say, oh, well, easy pickings, this guy's not armed. I, I'll kill him right, right away, you know, snap his neck and whatever and then. But anyways, um, the other thing about the, uh, Arizona monsters is that there are stories of, um, people where I guess years ago, what my mom said was that there was a, a train that had, um, was carrying some circus animals. And when that happens, um, you know, somehow that train got derailed and those animals, most of them escaped or a lot, some of them or a lot of them escaped. But anyways, there were some animals that escaped. And to this day, I guess if you go into deeper part of the Navajo nation, like, east of Clagato, that canyon, they think there was a story of a, a, a tiger. And see, this is where my mom kind of gets me confused because she said, uh, this guy, this Navajo guy came up, he was horseback riding. He came up on a tiger eating a horse. So then she says, oh, and then that lion attacked him or and then that lion started growling. I mean, then I was like, you mean a mountain lion or like an African lion with the big, uh, mane around his neck? She goes, yeah, yeah. A lion. I was like, uh, African lion. She goes, yeah, the one with the stripes. I'm like, that's a tiger. So, you know, I, I, I just don't, <laughs> it's kind of hard for me to understand, but, um, you know, that kind of leads me into this other story. Yeah. It's, it's kind of creepy to me, man. But, um, one of my cousins out in New Mexico, I guess he was, when he was younger, his, um, his parents got after him for something. So back then, you know, they smacked their kids around and, you know, talk a lot of shit to them. So he was going to run away. So I know where this place is that they're talking about anyways. So he ran up this Mesa and he got to the top and he, and he started walking. Cause he's like, Oh, I'm going to run away. I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, these guys won't be able to find me. So as he was walking towards the edge of that, um, the, the Mesa, cause I guess he was going to go back down the other side. He saw something orange cause the sun was starting to set at that point. And he started walking. He's like, huh, what, what is that? You know, he's, then all of a sudden his inner alarm, you know, went off, you know, when the hairs stood up on his neck and he got all these goosebumps all over his body. And he's like, what the hell is that? Cause then he saw hair and then, um, he started getting a little bit closer cause he's approaching with caution but I guess he stepped on a twig and that thing that was sitting there was like an orangutan, man. 
and it turned around and it looked at him and was like, you know, it growled. And, you know, if you ever go to the zoo and you hear orangutan, that's the sound it made. And it got up and, and you, if you, if you've seen nature shows, you know how a, a, an orangutan runs and that, that freaking orangutan just came at him like that. And, and he just yelled, man. He's like, ah, and then, you know, he just turned around and he ran. He's like as fast as his little legs could carry him. I was like, damn, even I was getting like little, getting the chills, you know, I'm still getting the chills right now, actually, you know, I got hair standing on back on my, on my arms and stuff. But, um, anyways, he could feel it. It was trying to grab his shirt, man. Cause you know, orangutans have long arms and I don't know how, man, but he managed to escape and he ran all the way back home. And by the time he got home, you know, I guess that orangutan stopped chasing him. And then he ran back and he told his mom and his dad, and they were still mad at him for whatever he did. So they just got after him again because he came bursting out of nowhere and he was just like screaming and crying and yelling, saying there's something chasing him. And, you know, in true adult fashion, you're never going to see it. And so they didn't see it. So it, it stopped chasing him at some point. But then I've always wondered, what was an orangutan doing out there on the res? Was it really an orangutan? You know? That's, I wish I could ask him that question, but, oh, well, uh, let's move on to the final subject of the night. And finally, now that the dogs have settled down with all the barking they were doing earlier, um, we're going to move on to our last subject of the night. And this one is going to be skinwalker and ghostly stories, uh, and ghost stories. And the first story I want to start off with is, um, kind of like a continuation off of, uh, ghostly road stories. This one is, um, is kind of like going and taking into consideration that Wendigo. So there was, um, um, there's, there's two stories I, I didn't really cover one time, but even though these are not located in Arizona, um, I'll just go ahead and bring it up. So back in, um, you know, uh, I look, the Alequin tribe from Northeast Alberta, Canada, back in 1879, um, I guess this is in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, this Cree Indian, his name is Swift Runner, or this native dude, his name is Swift Runner. He was known as a tracker and he had a wife and a wife and kids and uh, six kids. And he was living with his mother and his brother at the same time. So he was out there making a living, um, you know, tracking. And then one day he came into the, the town of Edmonton, I think it was. And, um, he was saying that, uh, his wife and kids, his whole family was dead and everybody was kind of tripping out on him because he was fat, you know, and up there during the winter time in, you know, especially in 1879, you can't just walk to, you know, the local gas station and, you know, go, you know, get fat off of uh, junk food like we can nowadays. But anyway, so the, they, I guess he got a hold of the Mounties or the police or whatever. And, um, they went over there to his house and that's where they, they tripped out on him because he had eaten his family. That's how he was all fat. Um, and, um, on like on the kitchen table, there was like broken bones and the marrow that's inside the bones, it was sucked out. And, and it was, um, you know, it was, it was hanging, um, all his, his kids, his wife, his six kids, his wife, his mother, and his brother, he chopped them all up. He, he basically cannibalized them. He ate them all. And, and when they asked him why he did it, he was like, all I think he was like pretty nonchalant about it, but he said that the Wendigo made him do it. And the Wendigo you know, if you see some pictures of it, um, it's like, it, it's like, uh, it's teeth it's showing and people are saying, oh, well, it's angry because, you know, his, his teeth are showing. But actually what people say about it is the reason why his teeth is showing is because it bites off its own lips because it's so hungry. And it's a, it's a curse that it just will never, no matter how much it eats, it will always be hungry. And that's where, you know, that's where some images of it is online. You can look it up and it's probably Photoshop, but it's pretty interesting to look at it. Kind of a little terrifying because it's got antlers on it. And, um, 
And so a more modern, uh, up-to-date story about it is um, back in July 30th of 2008, I remember hearing about this. There was on the Greyhound, uh, Greyhound bus, it was going um, north of um, Fargo, North Dakota to Winnipeg. And um, there was, uh, well, I guess there were about 250 miles north of Fargo, North Dakota. And there was this uh, Chinese dude named uh, Vince Lee. He was he was cruising and there was this other guy. Um, I forgot his name, man. Um, oh shit. I should have wrote it down. But anyways, an hour later, um, that guy, um, Vince Lee, he just attacked the dude next to him. And that, that the young man, he was, um, he was sleeping. I think he was native. He kind of looked native to me, but eventually, you know, what he did was, um, he took out a knife and just started cutting that guy's head off. And he started walking up and down, uh, the bus aisle and he showed, you know, showing the passengers and that's when everybody was freaking out. And then, um, then he started eating, started eating that guy's face and he chewed off his nose and like top of his lip. And that's when a, uh, bus, by that time the bus had pulled over and all the passengers got out and everybody was just freaking out. And, um, so this guy was just acting like it was nothing. And I looked online. I, 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 like I said, I can't remember the guy's name, the, the victim, but I saw that, um, picture that like actual police photo and yeah, his, his nose got, you know, he, that, that Chinese guy ate his nose, ate the top of his lips. It looks pretty trippy, man. Oh, they ate out part of his eye. I think that was, yeah. Cause his eye socket was gone or something like that. I mean, the, I think it was eye socket looked empty. I got, you know, I, I got to look at that picture again because I, I forgot what it looked like. So anyways, um, even though that really has nothing to do with uh, skinwalkers or ghosts, it does fall in that category because of the, uh, the Wendigo. And it made this guy, you know, just go ahead and kill like it's nothing. But as of this year, 2021, I think that um, Chinese guy, Vince Lee, he got released. So he's out. And, um, I, he's, he's, he's free up there in uh, Canada. So, um, I guess we'll just see if he does it again, but this, uh, Wendigo thing, man, it's, it's, it's kind of has its own origins, but, um, out here, um, sometimes when I think of the Wendigo, the only thing I can think of is skinwalkers, but skinwalkers really don't eat anything. Um, you know, yeah, I'm pretty sure they eat like dead bodies and whatnot, but, um, not like living human flesh, but, um, uh, here's a skinwalker story. I've, I've been wanting to tell, man, I've been holding on to this one for a while, but this was, uh, told to me by my late brother again. And, um, man, he had like all kinds of great, both my late brothers, they had a lot of great stories, man. It was very terrifying. It used to scare the shit out of me as a kid, man. I was like, always like scared to go to sleep and always curl up next to like, you know, my other sister, my older sister and my older brothers, I was like, oh shit, man. It's, you know, sometimes I'd like cover my ears or whatever, but anyway, so, uh, this one was, um, I guess back in, um, in New Mexico on the reservation side over there, this family that we know of, they were sleeping outside and there was, um, the, you know, it was in the summertime and out there, you know, it gets really hot. So, you know, sometimes to stay cool, you got to sleep outside, but that comes with the risk of having skinwalkers come over to your place. Cause they know you're sleeping right there and they stand there, watch over you or, you know, cut your hair or, you know, just do whatever they want to you while you're deep asleep. Anyways. Um, I guess the, the other sons, they were sleeping inside the Hogan. They had the door open, the windows open and the mother, her oldest daughter and the kids at the time, they were all sleeping right there. And then, um, the, the oldest daughter, she kind of woke up, you know, like, you know, I like when you wake up in the middle of the night and all of a sudden she saw like two long ears, uh, on the other side of the truck bed, it, it started going down. Like it was trying to hide slowly. It's like slowly creep, like went down. So nobody would see it. And then, um, then that's when she noticed that there was two, two, um, clawed hands like all furry with sharp nails. They, they were holding on to the tailgate. So right before she woke up, whatever it was, was looking over them, you know, as, as it was peeking over the tailgate. And then, um, 
then that's, I guess it noticed that she was starting to wake up. So that's why it slowly ducked down real slow. And then its hands, its clawed fingers slowly let go. And that's when she's like, Ma! Well, in Navajo, she's like, Mom, it's Skinwalker right there. And then when she said that, that's when the dogs, they started barking and they were like, whoa, 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 you know. And then um, then the mother uh, told them, uh, or no, it was crawling underneath the truck because it was trying to get away from the dogs and they could feel it underneath the truck. And that's when the mother's like calling to her sons over there at the Hoga. And she's like, Hey, in Navajo, she's telling them, get the gun, get the gun. And I guess the boys, they kind of woke up like, what, what? They're like, Oh shit. Mom says, get the gun. So they, they got their rifle. Uh, I'm guessing it was a 22, um, but it could have been a 30, 30. So anyways, they, 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 they loaded it up and they ran outside and then the mother and the kids, by that time, the kids had woken up and they looked at the same time, the brothers came as moonlight. I forgot to, I forgot to mention, I kind of ruined the story there, but so they saw a hairy skinwalker figure running and the brother, he's just like locked and loaded on boom, 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 boom. He was shooting at it. And that skinwalker ran towards the, the sheep corral and it made like a, it jumped over the whole thing, man, jumped over and it landed on the other side where they couldn't see what, where it went. And man, that story is just like, Oh man, it would give me the chills every time I think about it. I was like, whoa. And, um, and, um, as far as ghost stories go, you know, I really don't have, um, you know, a ghost story that happened to me, but, um, there's this story my sister told me, um, she said long ago, um, oh, I, it was told to her by her high school friend and that high school friend was trying to become a medicine woman. I think she was, she was also Navajo. And this is what she told my sister who told me who I'm sharing it with you now, but I guess, um, there was a, a Navajo couple that this, um, we'll call her Sally. <laughs> so they, they told Sally the story and, um, Sally was telling my sister and she goes, I guess there was a old couple that they were one night there were, there was a, they woke up and they heard, um, crawling on the roof and they were like, what is that? You know, they're like, oh, maybe it's a cat. And they're like, no, like we don't have a cat. So maybe it's a bird. And like, Why would a bird be on top of the roof? And then finally they came to the conclusion that they had a skinwalker up there. And so, um, they had a skinwalker and they had a small baby kitten and that kitten plays a part of the story to where, um, the family, I mean, the wife and husband, the old Navajo couple, they, um, they ran towards, um, they opened the door and they saw their truck over there and they ran over there and the husband was going to open the door for his wife so she could jump in. He opened the door and all these snakes fell out like a whole bunch of like rattlesnakes and, uh, you know, bull snakes or whatever. All these snakes fell out of the truck and they tripped out. So they, you know, they, they ran back to the Hogan again. And I think at that point they saw, I think they did see the skinwalker on top of the roof, but they were, um, they were trying to figure out what to do. Cause they didn't, they didn't have a gun or anything. And the door opened. And there was a ghost lady right there. She was like, you know, like an old hag. Her her cheekbones were sucked in. Her you couldn't. Uh, her eyes were glowing, and she was like all pissed off. And you could see like she's kind of like rotting, and you could see her teeth and her hair is all long and straggly. And she was a ghost. She had, I mean, she was a skeleton, basically a skeleton ghost, but she was floating, uh, kind of like in front of the doorway. And man, those two were just like all scared husband and wife, just holding each other like, oh shit, we're going to die. That little kitten saved the, saved the night, saved them. That little kitten, I guess it was sleeping the whole time they were running around. And, um, earlier when I said that we don't have a cat, I meant to say that, you know, it's like, no, the kitten's inside the house with us. It's not up on the roof. That's what I meant to say. So sorry. <laughs> I ruined that story again. But, um, so anyways, that's what happened. And then, um, that little, that little kitten, I guess it woke up by then. It's like, what, what the hell? And, you know, animals have that inner sense, you know, that sixth sense. And that kitten jumped in front of the, uh, the doorway right there. And that ghost 
that ghostly skeleton skinwalker lady just screamed like, you know, she just was so terrified and horrified to see this little kitten and it, it took off and it disappeared. And after that, all the snakes that were on the ground, they disappeared. And I always thought that was like the craziest story I ever heard. And I was like, oh man, you know, I love kittens even more now, (laughs) you know? So, um, anyways, yeah, that's, um, that's how I'm going to do this, uh, Clagato veteran podcast. Um, that's just give it one long block and, uh, finish off the rest of the season like that. So anyways, um, I hate to, uh, really use up a lot of time here, but, um, that's going to do it for me, Mateo native ravager and the, uh, and episode 18 for season two. We're, we're getting close, man. 19, 20, 21, 22, four more episodes and we're done with season two and I'll take a break, but, um, don't worry. I still got plenty of, uh, skinwalker stories and, uh, ghost stories. I'll, I'll make better time to, um, get, get more to it next time. But, um, anyways, so on behalf of Clagatil veteran podcast and the Clagatil veterans nonprofit and Clagatil veterans, um, uh, Instagram page, I'm Mateo Native Ravager saying yeah, see ya.